This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Forget the CRTC. They are not a credible means to regulate the data giants. The Liberals have put forward a 1980 solution for 21st century problem. Bill C-10 was a political dumpster fire, led by Minister Guibault, who I think clearly didn't understand the file. NDP Member of Parliament Charlie Angus has been a consistent and persistent voice on digital policies since his election to the House of Commons in 2004. He was one of the first MPs to seriously consider user rights within Canadian copyright law, a vocal supporter of net neutrality and more affordable wireless services, and a leading advocate for privacy protection and social media regulation. Last week, Angus called a press conference to unveil his six-point plan for digital policy, which emphasized accountability, privacy reform, and algorithmic transparency. Along the way, he derided the government's Bill C-10 efforts as a political dumpster fire and voiced support for the creation of a new officer of parliament charged with responsibility for social media regulation. Charlie Angus joins me on the podcast this week to reflect on the failed Bill C-10 and C-11, his concerns with the online harms consultation, and his hopes for the coming parliamentary session. Charlie, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time since we spoke. It has been a long time. And actually, I was, as I was thinking about the, the chance to speak again, I was thinking about really the first time that uh, I think we met that was now many, many years ago during some of the early days of copyright reform in Canada. You were, of course, a really experienced musician, but a relatively new member of parliament. I was a relatively new prof, too. Um, and you became really, I think, one of the very first MPs to actively question what had been longstanding lobbying claims with respect to copyright reform. And of course, ultimately emerged as a leading voice for a more balanced approach. And, and I can recall that, you know, you lamented at times about how poorly understood some of those copyright issues were. Now, I want to dive into a whole bunch of digital policy issues, but given some of your recent criticisms, is there a bit of uh, almost deja vu here when it comes to digital policy? Well, Michael, uh, you're speaking with a uh, recovering digital idealist. <laughs> um, back when I was first elected, my concern was uh, having politicians, uh, I think, stamp out the potential that we were starting to see in digital online services because the, the world was changing and we had to get our heads around that. Um, so I was much more open seeing, you know, when Facebook was starting out, when YouTube was came out of somebody's garage, the sense that there were new possibilities. So I felt at that point, legislation was something we had to be very light on. I think what I look at now is that, you know, these startups have emerged into such corporate power that there isn't anything even in the history of capitalism to compare to their power. Um, and some of them have really bad corporate track records, Facebook, 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 but you know, YouTube, Amazon certainly has serious issues. Um, and I think that given so many of the, um, revelations that are coming out about the power, the massive power of surveillance, capitalism, digital, the digital platforms being misused with algorithms, that we have to really rethink it. I think what we've seen so far is that I think the Liberal government has missed the boat for a number of reasons on identifying where the issues are, 
our all, all party committee in 2018, 2019 laid out a number of the red flags that are now coming up with the Francis Hugan testimony. So I think it's, we're at a point where we need as legislators to, to, to start tackling these issues and not be afraid to tackle them. But I think it's like we need to get a conversation about what what are the steps that we need to do so that we actually protect privacy rights. We make sure that digital online platforms continue to be where we're living our lives, but that they're they're not they're not interfering or undermining, I think, in a larger civic or de democratic conversation. So um, I'm not giving much marks to the Liberal government right now, but hey, uh, they flushed their own uh, legislation with the election. So maybe we'll get a reset. So that's why I came out and said, well, let's start talking about what this, what a, a new tech policy should look like. Yeah, no, I'm, and I'm, I think a lot of us are, are glad that you did that. These are are really important issues, and there's been a sort of, I think, a fair amount of frustration with what we've seen to date with without the focus on on algorithms or on privacy. And instead, it's been so focused on content as opposed to some of the underlying fundamental issues that that in some ways I think it really does miss the boat. And I want to come back to that. But, you know, speaking of the of the government's policies and the opportunity for a reset, you had a pretty pointed response this week. We're recording it a few days after you uh, went public with your with some of your proposals on digital policy. And why don't we start with Bill C-10, which you called the dumpster fire. Uh, you're definitely not going to find disagreement from me. I was obviously quite critical of it. But, you know, what, what was your take on this on on that legislation in particular? Well, Bill C-10 was going to be the first attempt by this Liberal government to actually tackle the big tech giants. So it was a real opportunity. Um, I, it was a political dumpster fire because I don't think Minister Gibo understood the file at all. Um, if they'd come forward and said, listen, these guys are making staggering levels of profit. They don't pay any tax. Do the Canadian people believe they should be paying into a system just so that there's some fairness? I think that people would have said, heck yeah. But they they went off the rails immediately. Again, I think focusing on content, not that the paying for content isn't an issue, but like they got caught up in this rabbit hole on user-generated content. Um, and they mis really misrepresented what Facebook is doing. Facebook, I think, meets the test of a broadcaster uh, in a certain sense, in that their algorithms decide what you see. They're choosing the news that you're seeing. They're choosing so much of what you get. And, and they, uh, they promote it as a business. I mean, their video metrics, they were lying about their video metrics to media corporations. So they are, they're driving content. So should you, they pay into the system? Absolutely. But then we get caught up into this rabbit hole of like, somebody's got their home YouTube page. Should that be paid? Should that not be? And I was really missing the issue that it's the power of the algorithms that's defining culture and defining political conversation that's where the big issue was and c10 completely i think through us i think in an in an unhelpful way and it's got these crazy arguments about free speech which i don't think is really what we need to be talking about at all we need to be talking about the the bigger power of social media to actually distort conversation or to 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 create the digital world that we're looking into yeah how do you think we we sort we, we kind of sort out some of those those challenges so that we separate out, let's say, some of the, the speech issues or user generated content from from some of the other bigger concerns, as you suggest. I mean, this was a bill that had support from the NDP in the block, though the Senate made it clear that it 
wanted to see more extensive hearings that the kind of hearing that it got wasn't sufficient. So how do you how do you try to balance the, the desire to support some amount of legislative reform? You've talked about the need to act here. So there's a desire to do something on digital policy with what can with you know, substantive concerns that can arise with what's being put on the table. Yeah, well, it was very interesting because we had a lot of discussion with my colleagues and Heather McPherson, Alexandre Bolaris on this file. Who they, they were the key point uh, on it. And we knew that the bloc were willing to just accept C-10 as it was, and it would have passed. We thought that that was very problematic and the Conservatives were just going to oppose it, which still meant it would have passed. Our focus was we got a lot of problems in this bill and we don't like it, but we'd rather have a bill that we fix a lot of the problems than have a bill that goes forward unfixed. Um, now, the fact that they flushed their own bill because of the election allows us, I think, to, to say to the government, OK, now you get a rethink. So let's let's do this right. So I think in terms of the policy issues, we need to look at the issue of the algorithms. And that was flagged by the all-party committee because it's the algorithms that's driving extremist content. This is what Francis Hugan has said. This is what so many people in Silicon Valley are telling us that, uh, that they've learned from their business model that driving people into narrower, narrow wells of anger and paranoia and disinformation is better for the bottom line because it keeps people addicted to the screen. So there's got to be some transparency and accountability on the algorithms. I mean, in what possible world could Breitbart be listed higher than almost all the other media outlets in the United States in terms of views on Facebook if it wasn't for the way the algorithm was distorting it? So they're culpable on those algorithms. Then the other issue, Michael, of course, is privacy. And this is, I think, at the heart of the, the big, big issue, surveillance capitalism, the fact that the data power of Google, Facebook is so unprecedented and how much power should they have in terms of trolling our lives, tracking us, building these massive profiles that they have, uh, which gives them, I think, an incredibly unfair economic advantage over any other startup that even could come along the scene. So the privacy rights Bill C-11 was, was supposed to be that. And that, I think, was highly, highly problematic. But because of all the dumpster fire smoke from C-10, we didn't get a chance to really look at the problems of C-11. I'm hoping they just shut C-11 down and come back with something that actually puts the citizen and privacy rights at the heart of legislation, which is what Canadians expect it to be. I'm glad you raised C11. For me, one of one of the things that I found most puzzling about the legislative agenda on digital policy was, of course, C10 and C11 came within two weeks of one another. C10 marched ahead, even in the face of the kind of public opposition and concern that arose. And C11 was was really left to die. I mean, there was it was only raised a couple of times in the House of Commons. It never went to committee. You have any sense of of why the the privacy, which which I agree with you, fundamentally, the the advantages that come from data are really where, and the potential for data abuse is really an area that that deserves greater legislative scrutiny and action. And yet, for whatever reason, the bill came, Navdeep Baines said he's moving on, and the bill didn't go anywhere. you have any, any idea of, as to why it was really abandoned as a legislative priority? Well, Michael, one thing I was wondering, I mean, it was very interesting to see the privacy commissioner come out so strongly against it and say, this is basically a threat to privacy. It's not going to protect privacy. Um, I think it made it very difficult for them to move forward with the problems they were having with C10. But we had done so much work on the Cambridge Analytica study. Uh, people are so much more aware of privacy rights. Like when we were starting out this file back in the day, there was, you know, the talk of the time was, oh, privacy, that's so 20th century. We're way beyond that. 
I don't think so. I think after what we've seen about the abuse of data and the abuse of profiling, people do care about privacy. And our committee tried to pr bring forward a number of things saying like, we got to stop talking about this about consumer choice because, you know, I get a cell phone. I don't choose. I don't say, hey, track me wherever I go. It's just doing it. I don't remember signing a, um, a, an agreement with Google to say you can read my email. They're just doing it. That level of interference in our private space needs to be legislated and limited. And it would change the, the bottom line for certainly Google, Facebook. But I think it would give us a lot more protection democratically and socially. So C11 actually would make it more hard for the one tool that we have, which is the privacy commissioner, to do his job. And that, I think, was highly problematic. Yeah, the commissioner definitely came out against it. I mean, it does raise for me a bit the question of, of to what extent is there even the possibility of, of broader, essentially privacy governance reform. You know, one of the things that, that the commissioner was not happy about was the creation of a privacy tribunal that would have played the role of, of meeting out some of the large penalties and, and provided some review. And, and I thought that there were arguments on both sides of that, but in some ways it, it may not be a particular surprise that a privacy commissioner who might have felt that some of, their, some of his power was being ceded to this new tribunal would say, well, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. You know, do you do you see a path forward potentially to to get engaged in some of the privacy governance issues, even if it is simply to say we need a privacy commissioner who's got stronger powers or we need some additional elements within the system that create the checks and balances and build in more power along the way? Yeah, I think um, what was concerning um, the privacy commissioner, I asked him about the Clearview AI example. I mean, this company that came in uh, broke Canadian law. Uh, had all kinds of deals with police and using facial recognition technology. And this is, this is the, th the facial recognition exploitation and, and commercial use and private use. We really need to get our head around. And he said that the new legislation would have made it very difficult for him to actually hold Clearview AI accountable. Um, I've got a lot of faith in the privacy commissioners because I think they've done extraordinary work provincially and federally. And it was our Elizabeth Denham when she was the privacy commissioner in uh, Canada in 2000, I think 2008, she identified the loophole that led to the Cambridge Analytica scandal. So these are highly qualified, highly dedicated people. Um, and I think they need the order making powers. I'm very suspicious, Michael, of these, um, you know, tribunal oversights because this is Canada and it's so easy to get regulatory capture. I mean, let's look at the CRTC. Like it's, it's supposed to be there for, you know, the public interest for citizens. Ask any Canadian when they, the last time they ever got a deal on telecom rates from the CRTC. So I, I, I'd be very suspicious of what this regulatory oversight body was, unless there was a clear commitment that there had to be representation from people who do public interest who do have privacy interests and not just some dumping ground for people from industry. Yeah, there were certainly some concerns about how that tribunal was going to be populated. My recollection is that the legislation or the bill simply said there had to be at least one person with privacy expertise. And I think a lot of people thought that uh, if you were going to create an expert tribunal, then surely you needed to do better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that tribunal actually popped up in one other place, which is part of the government's consultation on online harms. Uh, that consultation has attracted global criticism, both from, from a 
process perspective, given that the consultation took place during election, and now the department is saying they are going to keep all the submissions they received secret. Uh, so the public won't even get to see what the, what, the, what the government has heard from people around these online, online harms proposals, unless organizations or individuals choose to post them. But even more, I think, from a substantive perspective, concerns around 24-hour takedowns, website blocking, AI-based proactive monitoring and police notifications, and then a large new bureaucracy with a digital commissioner, uh, another tribunal-like apparatus, and a role, in fact, for that a privacy tribunal from C11. So there was a lot of bureaucracy built in as well. Uh, did you have some thoughts on, on that consultation and where the government might be headed on online harms, which it does look like could well be the kind of the, the star attraction, so to speak, when, the, when it moves forward with some of its digital policies? Yeah, I, I'm very concerned about how they brought this in. And I think it started off with the whole user generated content that I think was very much exploited by the conservatives, you know, that the big, the liberals are coming to censor your use of the internet. And so we end up in, in the wrong discussion uh, when the real discussion should be how are, uh, how is deliberate misinformation, QAnon, hate sites, uh, playing with the algorithms to actually expand their voice in a way that they normally never would be heard. Um, and that to me is the, again, going to the deeper issues rather than the symptoms. Uh, people say all kinds of hateful things online. Uh, and I think there are a number of steps you could take. Number one with Twitter, identifying bot accounts would be a lot easier um, to, to, to sort of, I think, tap down some of the, the hate stuff. But the, the, the real example for me, Michael, was that we ended up doing a major study on Pornhub MindGeek. Uh, and it was really disturbing the amount of evidence we had from young survivors, young women, basically kids uh, who were exploited through the Pornhub um, website, uh, sexual assault, sexual violence, um, child, child pornography, child rape. And we had all the major, uh, we, you know, we had RCMP, we had the attorney general's office, we had Bill Blair come. And I've put simple questions to them. We have laws on the books in Canada about digital uh, trafficking, di digital pornography. Why don't you just use the law? And we couldn't get a straight answer from them. And then they started to talk about this regulator they were going to create. And I was, it really struck me as odd is that we have, in the case of you know, child sexual abuse, that's pretty much across the board. Everyone agrees that's got to be dealt with. We have laws on the books. Why don't you just apply the laws? Why do we now need to wait to see what a regulator can do to apply those laws? Because I don't think those survivors of some pretty grim sexual assault stories are going to have to gonna get any comfort knowing that at some point, somewhere down the road, there's going to be a regulator. I think we have some laws on the books that are very clear, and I think we should really focus on pushing on the transparency on the algorithms to limit extremism. And then, I mean, there are hate stuff that has to be dealt with. But I think if you're going to do that, then you need a public conversation that you build public trust rather than like the idea that you're going to do this and like not make this public, not make it secret. Um, it's not going to build if the public doesn't buy in, uh, you're you're going to lose. Yeah, no, I think there is a lack of trust in, in this consultation in particular. And and a number of people, if you read some of the submissions, have raised exactly the issue that you just pointed to, that we are. If, if, if the scope of this is to deal with illegal, illegal forms of content and there are already laws on the books, then shouldn't we be looking at, at you know, what is stopping 
applying those laws as opposed to saying we've got in a sense start from scratch now i have to say i I had uh, taylor owen on my podcast last week and and you two really are are sounding very similar in terms of both your your concerns with where the government's been headed on digital policy as well as on some of the proposals and so he argued similarly that the government's been focused on on symptoms on speech regulation rather than the foundational problems and and pointed to, as you have, things like privacy, algorithmic transparency, accountability, as well as, I should note, competition law. Yes. I guess uh, I'd love for you to unpack even a little bit more, with, as you put forward some of your proposals, what, what you would, would see as, as a more effective approach, as opposed to the one that we've seen so far. Well, uh, the competition angle is, is certainly uh, huge. Um, I've always been of the belief that uh, as a you know, much smaller economic uh, power, taking on uh, the competition powers of, of a massive Silicon Valley company will bring in a lot of trade battles. But I'm thinking in the United States, they're going to have to start moving towards antitrust uh, with certainly with the behavior of Facebook. It's, it's outrageous that they have Instagram, WhatsApp and Facebook. That, that alone is, is, needs to be broken up. But I, I think we've shown really goodwill in Parliament. If, if you and I encourage the listeners to the podcast to check out the parliamentary investigations we did uh, in Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. In my 17 years in Parliament, it was the one time where I felt that all parliamentarians from each party worked together. Uh, we actually had pre-meetings, which never happens in Parliament. We, we, you know, it's always my gang versus your gang. But we realized we were dealing with something so much bigger than us and trying to get our head around Facebook and, and trying to explain it in a way that people understood because, you know, Michael, I'm not a tech guy, but people believe big data is like, I can go up into the cloud and take my data and put it in a box and bring it home. Whereas that's not how, that's not how the modeling works. It's not how their whole systems are working. Their whole systems are so much more powerful than that. I, I was really struck in, I think it was the economist that talked about the kill zone of innovation that's developed around Facebook at uh, Google, Amazon, because their predictive powers are so unprecedented that startups can't even get out of the gate anymore. Um, those are those are issues to be dealt with. I think the issues of the power of lobbying from these tech giants. Um, I mean, I've I've gone after Facebook and and Google, but Amazon's certainly involved. They're they're they embed themselves within the legislative structure to make sure that they're not getting oversight. They're certainly doing this in the United States and Europe. So we need to have a I think to push back on that, to, sh- to shine a light, to say they are making decisions behind, behind uh, the public's eye through their power of lobbying, through their work on trade, um, uh, in the trade deals that are being signed. I mean, literally in the trade deal itself, we, we don't ha- we've given up the right to, to get uh, algorithmic transparency from the black boxes that they have. We gave that up under Kuzma. I mean, this is nuts. Why did we do that? It's so that's the conversations I think we need to start having. And I don't know if it's as healthy to say to to tell someone, listen, buddy, next time you say something dumb on Facebook, it's going to get taken down. I don't believe it is. But that's to have that conversation is not really the, the conversation we need about having a tech policy in the 21st century that protects democratic rights of citizens. Yeah, I'm curious about, about your comment on, on lobbying, and, and certainly there's been a concern uh, about the, the power that some of the, lar- the large tech companies have. But you know, to what extent on some of these digital policy issues are we trading 
one group of lobbyists for another. You know, as you you were actively involved and still actively involved on in some of the telecom issues, where it's a sense the big telecom players uh, have got their way either at the CRTC or within government. And when I think on C10, it was quite clear that there were a number of of, of groups from the cultural sector that clearly had the ear of the heritage minister and were dominant there when it came to lobbying, uh, clearly over the objections that many people were raising. So, you know, is there a little bit of musical chairs here where we've got several different powerful groups and it may vary who has the ear of government, but the one consistent aspect it sometimes feels like is that the broader public interest can sometimes get lost on these issues. Well, uh, certainly there, 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 there is always a lot of jockeying going on in Ottawa. I think in terms of C10, like I agree with the fundamental principle that given the way Facebook makes money and the way YouTube makes money off content, um, that they do need to pay into it. And we would have probably a better, I think, a healthier balance. I, I don't have a problem with I think that that's that's a that's a public good. But I think what ends up happening um, is that, again, the jockeying behind the scenes distorted that bill um, in a way that I think the public would have bought in if it was a clearer and simpler bill and it just turned into a, uh, a dog's breakfast because I think they were trying to cover off a whole bunch of aspects that didn't all necessarily make sense. And that bill became very problematic. Yeah, I know. I think it did too. Now you've emphasized, uh, even just earlier in this conversation, some of the governance issues with the CRTC and how it's, it's viewed as being ill-suited to deal with these issues. That was, I think, for a lot of people, some of the concern as well with, uh, with Bill C-10. Can you flesh out a little bit some of your thoughts on a social media regulator? What, what would be the, the overlap, if any, with the CRTC, with the Privacy Commissioner? How, how do you envision in that, that rolling out? Well, we've thought a lot about this. And so um, one of the things we've talked about with, with the New Democrats is um, actually having a new officer of parliament. And, uh, you know, I'm not wanting to drive people into the parliamentary weeds here, but our officers of parliament, um, you know, the privacy commissioner, the ethics commissioner, the lobbying commissioner, um, the access to information commissioner, they're highly credible offices with a lot of skill. And I think that you need a you need a level of skill and proficiency to address issues, for example, of algorithmic transparency or, or di the distortions in the algorithms that are creating extremist content. I don't think that that's something you bring to a CRTC hearing with a bunch of guys and women who've been appointed there from for whatever reason and, and debate it all out. I think what we like what we've seen with the privacy commissioners, uh, his study in Clearview AI, his study on Cambridge Analytica, they did a deep dive. They worked internationally with other privacy experts. They came back with a report uh, and a finding. I think if we had a digital, uh, a, a, an officer of parliament on the issue of digital, digital rights, the, the rights of citizens and technology who could be trusted to look into these kind of issues and report back to Canadians. I'm thinking that we may get actually get some, we, we may move the yardstick in a, in a way. Is there going to have to be some kind of regulatory oversight in terms of dealing with hate, dealing with the deep fake videos that are coming out? Um, probably. Um, I would think it should be a simpler tribunal than something like a CRTC thing. It's it just, I don't see how that's going to work. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of being able to move, move things forward, let's conclude with this. You know, you mentioned the, the success on some of the earlier 
committees that, that sort of set partisanship aside and really identified these as important issues that needed uh, action. And I think it's, it's, you're right that just about everyone can agree that there's a need for regulation. There's obviously a need to respect the charter, to need to ensure that our data is properly protected and not misused. You know, how do we get to the point, in your view, of a more productive policy development process? Do you think that this uh, another minority government situation helps things? Does it hurt things? And, and what do you foresee in the, the coming months ahead as once Parliament reconvenes? Well, I certainly think that a, a minority parliament does work because it, 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 it forces checks and balances on government. I, I think, again, I keep going back to the work we did at the privacy committee in 2018 2019 before the election that we, we we were studying some i think some very cutting edge things i felt that there was a point where the canadian parliamentarians were way more out in front on some of these tech issues than any of the other jurisdictions even including the uk which was very focused on disinformation um, and we we bring those recommendations to government we we ask for a response but um, i think they see it through political lenses and don't end up working uh on our recommendations, I would like to see a standing committee on on digital files with a with a frame that we're talking about the digit we're talking about the democratic and civic rights of citizens participating in a digital realm. We we have to start looking at issues on uh, facial recognition technology. What is it? What is it good? Is it bad? What is it going to do? The the issues of Facebook and Google, their massive market power, it's not going to go away. I think that there is a way to do this beyond the partisan nature of the political realm, but it really means government has to actually sit down and say, yeah, we, we recognize there are some issues that have to be addressed, and this is what we can do. And then I, the other thing I'd end on, Michael, is you know because of the work we were doing at the Canadian Parliamentary Committee, we had reached out to the UK Parliamentary Committee that were doing the Cambridge Analytica investigation because there were people they couldn't get to testify because they were in Canada, but we could get them to testify in Canada. And it was the first time ever where you actually had uh, parliaments in different jurisdictions trying to work together to get some common answers. And that worked towards the International Grand Committee, which has met three or four times now in Dublin, Ottawa, Washington, uh, London to try and bring international parliamentarians together to say these, like it's, it's much better, I think, if we have an international standard for digital rights and technology, then we're carving up the internet into all our own domestic jurisdictions. And I'm hoping that that international work could, could result in sort of broader treaties on democratic rights. So a lot of a lot to be done both domestically but but internationally as well. And I think it's quite certain based on your many years uh, on Parliament Hill that you're going to be at the, the center of much of those discussions when it comes to those digital issues. Charlie, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thank you so much. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. 
Thanks for listening, and see you next time.